Hey, everybody. Welcome to Roger and Me, a.k.a. Roger Ebert and Me, colon, movie reviews for SEO search purposes. Uh, I've wanted to call it Roger and Me, colon, a Siskel and Ebert tribute. We're going to try that one out at some point. Uh, I'm just trying to make the point of telling you what this show is. It is a movie review podcast that is a tribute to Siskel and Ebert in that it is two guys talking about movies. Two guys from Chicago, the suburbs of Chicago, and the suburbs of Chicago? Chicago proper? Suburbs suburbs of Chicago and, and Chicago proper, depending on Got time time of my life. I'm not going to dox you fully. Yeah. Um, we are here. Mark Dusick of MarkReviewsMovies.com is here, and I am here, Brett Arnold of this podcast, and also the New Flesh podcast, a long-running horror movie show. Uh, we are two film critics seeing as many movies as we possibly can in a week to review every new release out every Friday for you, the listener, as a little guide to what you should see in theaters and what you shouldn't. If you're a frequent moviegoer or you have a frequent moviegoer in your life, tell them about this podcast. Uh, We're trying to find that niche. We know there's a niche market out there. I said both because I don't know if it's niche or niche. So I said them both. Uh, One thing we don't do is pronounce stuff properly. You'll learn that fast on this podcast, mostly from me. Mark is very good. Um, We have... I think seven movies this week that we're talking about. Uh, we have a Fast and the Furious movie. We have a Paul Schrader movie. A lot of indie movies. Uh, a beloved, com- a beloved comedian made a horror movie. We've never heard that one before, uh, but we have another one of those, and I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, I guess uh, we have a documentary, and at over at MarkReviewsMovies.com. He doesn't just have seven, of course. He has, I believe, nine reviews up this week. Mark covered two movies I didn't, uh, let's say, have time for. There was a White Men Can't Jump remake that stars Jack Harlow, the rapper, in it. Uh, it's a Hulu movie. And uh, I'll just be straight up. The reason I, I didn't watch it is because it's like a little bit more difficult for me to get a Hulu screener than it is to get other screeners. and. It wasn't worth the fight in my mind to send a few emails. So I did not watch White Men Can't Jump. Mark gave the other it thing of, is, yeah, it, it might be gone in six months. Yes. Uh, that was keep, depressing news. Dick. Yeah. Disney Plus is getting rid of Willow and a bunch of other shows that are, Their I, I guess, original movies. Yeah. Artemis Fowl. Um, oh, my God. A good movie called Clouds. If you have a Disney Plus account and haven't seen Clouds, check out Clouds before it disappears. It's a good movie it's a nice little tearjerker about a yeah. kid um it's it, it, that's worth watching um yeah that's depressing but yeah and then some hulu stuff's going away too so white men can't jump if you want to watch it watch it before it goes away in six yeah, months apparently we're quickly learning that we used to think you know you put something online it's there forever and now it's nope. like corporations as far as streaming platforms go if you want to get granular about it, the reason that the executives do this and say, we can't have that on the platform is because if you have it on your platform, you got to pay the people who made the thing, you know, to keep it on there. So basically they're trying to cut costs in a very shitty way. Um, Not just shitty because we're losing content, shitty because people who rely on that money are not going to get it. It is very silly and stupid. And also it's just like what you're making shows to just put them nowhere. Artemis Fowl is not on DVD or Blu-ray or on VOD. I'm not saying it's a good movie or anyone should seek it out, but it's not the point. It's it's a thing that was made and now you can't access it in any way. Uh, It's very bizarre. Um, Anyway, 
You Sorry. White yeah, Man that was a jump. tangent, but it was worth talking about, I think. It was. Yes. Uh, white Men Can't Jump. Another reason I skipped it. I've never seen the 1992 movie. Oh, it's good. I know. I That's I, on Hulu. Exactly. My plan was I was going to watch that before I watched this, so I didn't have time to do that. So I just never got to it. I will okay. watch the 92 and get back to you guys on if I liked Sweet. it or not. Uh, but what did you think of the remake? Quick uh, under um, Yeah, not blurb. a... I, I, yeah, I, I don't think it comes up with a reason to, that it, it needs to have a remake. It changes most of the plot. Um, the characters are very much different. It's more of a follow your dream type movie than a, you know, getting by by hustling sort of movie. I, I, I didn't care for it. Um, How does it compare and, to the other film by the director, Cal Matic, from this year? Oh, yeah. House Party. The remake of House Party. I mean, he's, he's got a niche niche. He's, yeah, niche, niche a niche or, he's got a niche or niche for just, <laughs> um, yeah. Remaking movies with no real sense of purpose. I guess that's where we're at. Remaking them. movies from the early nineties, specifically that yeah. have cult status that people enjoy <laughs> and make them way worse is, is what a uh, house party was very bad. So was this better than that a little bit um, or about on par? Uh, probably a, maybe a slightly better. Do maybe we have slightly. sitcom lighting? Um, well, a lot of it's outdoors. Okay. So... Natural lighting. Maybe. Natural lighting. Okay. Yeah. That's an improvement from yeah. sitcom lighting. I'll take that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And the most interesting movie of the week, Mark, is a movie that you you are, you are deserve some sort of award, some film critic award, for putting in the time and effort to, I believe, pay actual dollars, American currency, yeah. to rent yes. robots on VOD. Yep. Robots. Not the 2005 Robin Williams, Ewan McGregor animated film. No. Robots, a 2023 live action film starring uh, DTV queen Shailene Woodley. I said DTV queen because of To Catch a Killer, but I guess that was actually theatrical. That was just theatrical confusing. release, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, t- I need to know everything about robots because oh, God. all I've seen is a poster <laughs> in which it's a couple... And one of them is Shailene Woodley, and there's some guy there. It's Jack Whitehall. Jack Whitehall, British comedian. British comedian from uh, Jungle Cruise. Yeah. Yeah, didn't I saw Jungle Cruise? But it was the day my cat was in the vet for sad reasons, and I, I don't think I remember a second of it. But I definitely don't remember Jack Whitehall being. Yeah. (laughs) Look at that. Um, Robots. Poster. Robots. Uh, A couple in an embrace, and then you can see that their hands are robots, like a Terminator. Uh. What the fuck is this movie? Is it a romantic comedy about robots finding love? That's what that's the vibe from the poster. Um, that would have been the, the better movie, probably, but it's actually about two very unlikable people who have robots. Um, so Jack Whitehall's character has a robot so that the robot can go out and do the dating part with women that he picks up. Oh my god. And then god. he can jump in and have sex with the women after Oh the my robot. god. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, let's let's avoid the moral <laughs> and legal issues that that brings up because the movie certainly doesn't. That's um, borderline. That's borderline rape, my friend. I think it might technically be that. that, um, that borderline to, that, is is putting it mildly. Yeah, that is technically. I, know. I think that is technically rape. Wow. I think it very well might be. Um, Holy again, shit! Uh huh. So anyway, now you see why it was. Um, <laughs> It was unceremoniously no one, dumped on VOD, and they would not request critics uh, asking for screeners. They did not. Request. Yeah, no one. They. I could not get anybody to 
I, I had one person say, we're not doing screeners. And then um, yeah. other people like not even respond. So yeah. I rented it last night. As soon as it became available, I watched it. I Mark was up until midnight, like a good, like a huge, like, like all the Woodley heads out there. Yeah. Waiting for the latest Shailene Woodley release to drop. I oh was God. I was at least like the fourth person to rent this movie, I think, because I got it pretty quickly. <laughs> well, you're putting Shailene sure. Woodley's parents ahead of you. And then who else? Who's the third person? <laughs> I don't know. Jack, Jack Whitehall himself. He's <laughs> like, exactly. I got this. Oh, my God. Anyway, um, her character is doing the same thing, except she's a gold digger. So she's she's having the robot have sex with the guys while she goes out to get all of the gifts and stuff. And then the robots accidentally meet and have sex. <laughs> And then the two of them. See, it sounds so wait, kind of robots funny. have like sexual desires in yes. this film. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry, yeah. you, you sound so nonchalant about that. I'm like, yeah, okay. I know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, sure. That's the that's the tone of the movie. That's exactly how it happens. Um, and then yeah, they have to hunt down the robots to try to get their lives back. Um, there's also a random subplot involving a mass shooting. Um, oh my god! Yeah, this movie is all over the place it is a mess um mostly though it's just a bunch of unlikable couple of unlikable characters and eventually obviously some bond develops between them it's completely unconvincing there's there's it's just really really bad well i can see why they hit it i just don't understand it's neon neon is the distributor on this i don't know what they were thinking picking this up except maybe they picked it up at a point when it seemed relevant because there's some political humor uh, that has aged very poorly. Uh, I will say that much. It starts with a scene of a border wall, and then it turns. There are references to um, Dogecoin, and there's a oh, suggestion that Kanye Musk West was this vice president. Thing? Oh my god, this is yeah. horrible sounding. But I must it's, say, I'm very upset that they didn't provide screeners because I would have loved to have seen this and to talk about it. And now I don't think I will ever find the time because yeah. Sorry. Why would I? Maybe it'll be streaming somewhere, uh, and at, at that point. point I'll watch it. But you're a you're an emphatic no on this one. I'm an emphatic no on it. Okay. Well, it sounds incredible. Thank you so much for uh, walking <laughs> us through that. Holy fuck! I, that just derailed the whole show. Uh, we need to start a new podcast that's all about robots. It's like you know that podcast where they talk about heat one minute at a time. Yeah, I think we should do that with robots. Because I think we could probably do robots like 10 seconds at a time because sometimes the movie will bring up something within 10 seconds. You're like, what is going on here? All right. We're doing robo- 10 second robots coming soon to uh, your podcast feed. Check it out. All right. Now, I'm very excited to talk about Fast X, the 10th movie in the Fast and the Furious franchise, a franchise that is near and dear to my heart. I have seen every one of these in theaters, Mark. Um, I, I'm, of course, I'm sure you have too, as a film critic for 20 years. Um, you must have reviewed the original, did you not? Is that a, is that right around? Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. I did review the original. I've I'm gonna guess been... three stars. <laughs> I hope. No, uh, no, one and a half. <laughs> if I remember correctly. If I remember correctly, I want to say our namesake on the show, Roger Ebert, gave the original Fast and the Furious uh, three stars. Yes, he did in 2001. Okay. Uh, I just want I just want to put that out there. Roger Ebert was a fan. I, I always I hate doing the thing where I'm like Roger would love this. I really hate doing that, and I especially hate when other people do it. But I, I do feel like he would have enjoyed Fast X. Uh, he really. I, he also loved. I think he was around through five, and he also loved five. He may have given five three and a half stars. I just say all that because I want to show my encyclopedic knowledge 
of Roger Ebert things. There's a reason I have this podcast with him in my name. I'm a huge fan of his and his writing. Um, but let's talk about Fast X, the 10th movie. Uh, I, I want to talk about the last one. I want to talk about everything. We'll get right into, the, into it after we watch this trailer. Here you go. I know that this road has been very hard. And yet here you are, building this magnificent family. What's going on in that head of yours? Something little piece of it. said, Dad, they're not afraid of anything. But I am. I'm afraid of losing someone I love. Dominic Toretto. You're about to learn all about fear. You built such a beautiful life, filled with love and family. I never got that chance. You stole that from me. My future. My family. And now, I'm going to break yours. God damn, Mark. I thought this movie was so much fun. And I say that as a huge fan that hasn't said that uh, since, I think, six. I think after seven, I was disappointed for various reasons. Paul Walker's death kind of fucked that movie up in a lot of ways. But I have grown to like it for various reasons. I'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, Fast 8, I walked out of very disappointed. Fast 9, I saw twice in theaters to make sure that I didn't like it. And I didn't like it. And this one is such a step up. It is such a course correct. I cannot believe that Louis Louis Leterrier, of all people, the director of like the the Italian job. Is that a movie he made? Um, I feel like he's uh, the the transporter one and two. He directed. He's just like a workman guy. He did like the Clash of the Titans. He's not a person that I ever would have thought. I would be praising his version of a Fast and Furious movie as better than, I mean, Justin Lin did the last one. Last he did the last one after doing the best ones in the franchise, and I thought Fast X was way better than a Lin directed one uh, in Fast Nine. I'm just rambling because I'm so excited about the fact that I enjoyed this movie, but you did too. So why did we both have this reaction to it? When I want to be clear, there's a lot of critics out there who. I just fundamentally do not understand what they want or expect from these movies because there's a lot of hand-wringing over logic issues and bullshit that has like the ship sailed on that like six movies ago, right? Like you have to give you have to give that up. And if you're will if you're a fan of these and you embrace uh, the silliness of it all and the fact that they're like super spies and all that shit, this movie delivers everything I wanted out of the, one of these movies. It's just action set pieces one after the other. Yes. Something is lost, Mark, in that the stunts are no longer as real as they used to be and as physical. And you could used to be able to tell when they were throwing cars off of places. And now it's really just like CGI soupy. Uh, But I think it's still well done action. And the scenes are really uh, like it's engaging and entertaining. And I was never bored. Yeah. So where I'm at with them is I was one of those this doesn't make any logical sense critics up until <laughs> about the seventh movie. The seventh movie is flipped it for me. I like the seventh movie quite a bit. I think that's a lot of fun. 
Um, I think that one has all the pieces come into place in terms of the characters. The action sequences in that one, I think, are probably the best of the franchise. Um, but yeah, I have I have a love, not even love-hate. I have a tolerate-hate yeah. relationship with sure. most of the movies up until the seventh one. And then I kind of flipped and like, it doesn't, there's no reason for these movies to keep going. I don't get it, but they're here. And you know what? If they're going to be here, let them be silly. Let them be over the top. Let them be fun. Yeah. And that's what I've been hoping for. I think nine came kind of close to doing that at moments. I mean, it sends a car into space and it knows it is that silly and over the top and ridiculous. This one amplifies that by even more. And that's why I liked it. And it is aware of the fact that it is this silly. And so that it, I can't, I can't, I can't imagine thinking that the first action sequence in this, which is a chase in Rome with a giant circular orb ball rolling down the streets of Rome towards the Vatican, is not the most outrageous action sequence in this movie. But it's not, <laughs> it's yeah. not, and that's what I appreciate about the movie. And it has its tongue firmly in its cheek. There is, there are new characters here. One of them is a new head of the agency. Um, and he goes through the entire history of these, these, this team and explains like, they just started off as street racers with, you know, some criminals and a cop and they became boosting TV VCRs combo. Yeah. Yeah. And then they went into like super high crimes and now they're super secret agents. How did that happen? And why did we let that happen for so long? And every one of their enemies becomes a friend. It's like a cult. Like they're, yes, yes, yes. It's so funny. That whole monologue is so funny and it's right on point. And that's what I want out of these movies. I want the acknowledgement that it's silly. And I want the film to embrace that idea and just be as silly and over the top as it can be. And that's what we get from these action sequences. I have come to appreciate the narrative shorthand because there are so many characters now with so many different relationships and so many past. But as soon as like Jason Statham's character and uh, Sung Kang's Han show up and meet each other, there's a whole history there that I probably forgot most about. I don't even know how Han's alive at this point. I forgot. But it doesn't matter because they have this look in this little quick exchange. You're like, oh, yeah, that's right. All of that happened. Yeah. And you're, you're right it, back to it. And to be clear, he killed him. <laughs> exactly. Jason Statham killed uh, Han's character in, was it the end of end of Technically Drift? the end of three, but, yes, it, but it's in the timeline, in yeah. six, I yes. think. I, yes. That's what I'm and then they bring up so there's i guess (laughs) i agree it's embracing the silliness i i'm trying to parse and i'm still trying to parse this mark if is this much better than nine or am i just willing to accept things that i was annoyed by before like the the attempts at self-referential humor in nine like the fact that they're like going to space and acknowledging how, how crazy it is like things like that came off goofy to me in nine like it was try hardy like you know how when the new york times does like an expose on a meme explaining what the meme means like that's how you know when the meme is dead and no longer cool that's how i felt about fast nine being self-aware about things and for some reason this one's level of self-awareness like that monologue we talked about completely worked for me and i'm trying to parse if it's like a better movie or i'm just willing to accept things now 10 movies in that like just accepting the movies for what they are rather than being upset for what they're not like, Oh, they don't have these amazing uh, car based stunts that you can tell they actually did really crazy stuff on set with. Yes. This movie definitely has way more CGI explosions than like 
actually hand done ones. But like, that's the way these movies are made now. And I don't begrudge it because I found this one so entertaining. We haven't talked about maybe the best villain in the entire franchise. I thought Jason Momoa is great in this. He is. I don't know if anyone's ever had as much fun on set as Jason Momoa appears to be having on, on this movie. He basically is playing a character that is like the Joker of this universe. He just wants to like, so chaos. There's a personal connection. Of course, I love the silliness of the opening retcon. And I think the movie is in on the joke of how silly it is by the time the double retcon comes around and reveals a second person standing there uh, in that moment. Like, that's why I think this movie is great. I think the difference, Mark, and I've read so many interviews with Louis Leterrier, the director of this movie, who, if you don't know the history of this movie, Justin Lin was directing it. It was shooting for a week before he left the movie because... The writing's on the wall. No one said this, but it's because Vin Diesel is a tough personality. He essentially directs all these movies like Tom Cruise directs all the Mission Impossible movies. These are his babies. A director only has so much input is like the kind of the writing on the wall there. Uh, Louis Leterrier comes in while the movie's already started and just jumps into a moving plane and made directed this movie. So I think it's worth commending that this movie resembles a finished product at all and like an actual movie. And that I didn't, I mean, yes, it just kind of is globetrotting and jumping from sequence to sequence. There's not a lot of narrative drive and besides that, but that's what these movies are now, right? There are so many characters that you don't need the, a bunch of soap opera horse shit. That is why I didn't like nine. Nine has a bunch of flashbacks that play so stupidly. And I just don't care. Like, it's kind of funny. The ambition of like, Oh, Vin Diesel thinks he's making like the Godfather part two. Like, it's like, it's really funny that like he has this ambition or whatever, but um, it, it all, all the soap opera elements slowed down nine where this one, I would argue, even though it's still, you know, what, 220 or something, it's, I would argue it doesn't slow down much at all for like soap opera bullshit. It doesn't have time. There's so many characters to, to, to get to, and they all get a moment to shine. And what I was going to say, as I was reading all these interviews with Louis Leterrier, and he is a huge fan of these movies. To like genuinely. It's not like a classic director talking to the press being like, "Yeah, I love them." He is a genuine a huge fan, fought very hard to direct Fast and Furious 8. Got down to the wire. Who was it? F Gary Gray directed that one. He didn't get the job. Uh is my point. And he was heartbroken over that to the point where when they came to him for this one, he almost didn't want to get involved because they thought, you know, they're going to just rip it away from me again. There's no way I could do it. Could I have that happen to me again? I love these so much. But like it, it all happened so fast and he got the job and he was talking about, you know, writing, rewriting his version of the script on the way over because they sent it over. He's like, all right, you're, you're flying in the direct. And he was talking about, I'm such a fan of these movies. I added a reference to a short film bonus feature that is meant to bridge Tokyo Drift with Fast and Furious 4, directed by Vin Diesel, a 20-minute short that explains uh, Han, uh, Dom's relationship with uh, the Dominican people that gets that actually comes up in Fast X. Um, he wrote a scene that referenced Los Bandoleros, and he brought the, that plot back. Like He's such a fan of the franchise that he's referencing Easter eggs, pulling off of bonus features for like the most maligned ones. He is such a fan that I feel like he's constantly proving it throughout this movie by showing you that he knows what it's about. It's about family, right? It's about, that's, uh, it's about family. 
every character mark that's introduced in this movie is a family member of somebody else, literally. And I like that element. I like that the movie's clever enough to, as we mentioned, make reference to the fact that they all become villains and then friend, or all the villains become friends and then use that against the audience because we're expecting certain things to happen and the movie uses our expectations against us. It's like subversive. It's clever. I just think this movie is 100% self-aware what it is, but in a way that doesn't grate me because it feels like an actual fan made it. And I think that's the difference between like, I, I mean, I'm not going to argue Louis Leterrier or Louis Leterrier is a better director than Justin Lin or James Wan. I do not think that. I do think Fast X is better. I liked it more than both of those movies. I have to rewatch seven and uh, seven and nine again before I should definitively say that. I just think I my initial walkout reaction is I enjoyed Fast X way more than the last several. I'm way back on board. I love that it's a goofy cliffhanger ending, leaving me leaving me hanging for <laughs> another not, one. It's more than one cliffhanger ending, and that's something I also appreciate. It's like yeah. the, the cliffhanger set up action sequences that are going to start off like the next movie, and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and this one kind of plays uh, as a Fast and Furious movie in reverse. It starts with the barbecue, and then has like a big action sequence. And it, it does kind of play like that. I, I heard Louis Leterrier. I swear to God, I read so many interviews with this man. I heard him say that, and then I was watching the movie. I was like, that's totally true. So yeah, plays like a greatest hits of the franchise too. We haven't said that. It opens with the heist sequence from five and does that retcon, which is like if you're you know reference your you're the best part of the franchise. Why not? As I mentioned, uses the lore against characters in clever ways. Uh, brings it back to the roots of the franchise. Dom gets to do a street race in this movie, which is something that hasn't happened in a long time. Um, really leans into the faith based god elements, which make me laugh every time. It's like. I like that the answer to this movie's um, logic problems that people have, like the thing that like impossible things happen, the answer is truly now, with Christ, all things are possible. <laughs> that is like what, have, what they have baked up as an explanation. And as a fan of these movies and an agnostic borderline atheist Jew, <laughs> I love it. I think it's great. I think it's very silly. Um, what did you want to say? Because I've been steamrolling. I'm sorry. Um um mainly i i I, you're right momoa is a very good villain he's having a blast you can tell i like all the new characters brie larson is really good here i the detail like her entire character is summed up by the fact she has spikes on every single pair of shoes she wears yeah that's a great little detail um i do um, think it's i think the movie overplays one element it's the it's that they think we care a lot about mr nobody (laughs) who they have oh i don't think it does i I think it's it's just teasing the fact it's teasing but it it just makes me laugh how they're constantly being like in eight or nine he's like his plane goes down or whatever and he's missing and they keep referencing like you're like okay i get it he's going to come back eventually and in this one i don't want to say if he comes back or not but they're definitely he's leaving yeah they're leaving up the specter (laughs) that he might appear or whatever yeah Um, something's going to happen yeah yes um but um it gives all the characters something to do i really like yes the subplot with John Cena taking Dom's kid on like a canoe trip. And it turns out that obviously it's not a canoe trip and yeah. the canoe is not a canoe. And it's I love hilarious. that reveal. It's so funny. I, I was, I was just in the palm of this movie's hand, you know, like everything it did, it worked for me. And I know that there's very similar things that other ones did that didn't work for me, but like, you know, Jason Statham with the baby. What's what movie is that in? Is that in Hobbs and Shaw or that in like eight? Uh, I think that's an eight. Eight, eight had the, baby yeah right? it has the scene with st- statham and the baby on the plane which is really fun even though there's yeah. some dumb shit in there like 
Yeah, I don't know. This one had the most, just I guess, like hit rate versus scenes that didn't do anything for me. This one had tons of scenes that did stuff for me. But there are a couple notable things that I thought sucked. There's a really, really, really dumb cameo that adds nothing. I'm all for a cameo from a funny person doing a funny thing. There's nothing funny about the scene. It just falls flat. Um, did you also find it to have one of the most bizarre attempts at humor you've ever seen in a movie like this? Weird and dark joke that just brought things to a halt with Jason Momoa's character. I appreciated it, but it felt completely out of place. It's out of character for the movies, for yeah. sure. Although, although it's out, although, it's in character it really, for him. I think it's just it's out in of, character for that character. But also, is it really out of character when, like, one of my favorite things about this entire franchise is Too Fast, Too Furious, the rat, the bucket, and the blowtorch scene? Me too. I reference that all the time as like that stuck in my memory. It's been twenty years since that movie came. Yeah, and it's I remember still in my head yeah. of like. <laughs> A shocking moment of like, where did you come up with this idea to put this in here? I yeah, it's I mean it's it's got that level of demented, and I think it I think it works. It definitely works for the character, but it is <laughs> it is out of place a bit with all. The... It's just a fucked up little vignette. It's very strange. Yeah. I appreciated that it's in there, but I think most people had no idea what the fuck to do with that. It was just it kind of fell flat, whereas other things got huge laugh. Uh, huge laughs and applause. I just saw it with a great game crowd. Everyone applauded where they should have and laughed where they should have at the most, you know, th these movies should get you to laugh based on a single line of dialogue. Like we're going to the, to save the Vatican or whatever the fuck they say, like just the basic setup of a scene in this movie should make you laugh. And they know it now. And it, it, it comes off in a way that feels like loving and not winking. I don't know what the difference is between this and nine because they both have self-aware humor, but this one did not leave a bad taste in my mouth. And speaking of bad taste, my buddy Nick, who I saw this with, calls these movies cinematic McDonald's, which I think is perfect. He's like, yeah, you know, I always go see them. I like them. They're fine. They're junk food, which to me is perfect because you really need to be in the mood for it. Right. And sometimes it tastes a little stale like the last one for me. But other times you leave and you're like, fuck yeah that was so good i can't wait to go back again and that's exactly how i felt after this one i'm it bring it it's a very very strong three out of four for me and i'm almost at the three and a half because of how much how much fun i had but i am acknowledging you know silliest movie on earth but it knows it and um delivers exactly what i want out of it even if it's not near the highs of the franchise it's like if it's not near the if it's not the highest tier, it's like the second highest tier for me of of these movies because there's ten of yeah. them now. <laughs> yeah, I know somehow there's ten of them. Yeah, for me, I am. Yeah, I, I again not a huge fan of this series in general, but I am a fan of this installment. This is a higher high tier, Fast and Furious, Fast and or Furious for me. Uh, three stars too. I I enjoyed it. It's I think it's. Yeah, I have not rewatched a single one of these movies since they came out. Well, that's funny. I'm kind of looking forward to rewatching this one for the next one, yes. which I assume is going to be. I can't believe you haven't. Furious Eleven. I can't believe you haven't and enjoyed this because so much of this one is like, as I said, greatest hits. It's like trivia about the other movies. Like it's like remember this character from six movies ago, this joke from the seventh movie, the plot of four this little thing from two, like it's just constantly Easter egging you with little things. So I I'm, I'm delighted to hear that even as someone who doesn't rewatch these every time there's a new one, which I feel like I do every time. Um, I'm glad it was still really fun. Cause I felt like it really is just like 
Fast and Furious for the fans, where it's like, we're just making a movie where like, if you've been following these and you love these, this will pay off big because every little thing gets a payoff and it is openly kind of making fun of itself in a way that I think is respectful of the franchise. Um, yeah, I just had a great time. Then that's all there is to it. Um, your mileage may vary, uh, pun intended, uh, based on how a lot of people are reacting to it. And your mileage may also vary about Master Gardener, which I think we're going to split on talking about here. Um, the third film in Paul Schrader's informal guy writing in a journal at a desk trilogy uh, that started with First Reformed and continued with Card Counter, but arguably goes back all the way to Taxi Driver, does it not? Um, let's talk about Master Gardener, Joel Edgerton, Sigourney Weaver, Paul Schrader. The Nandina is a species of flowering plant native to Eastern Asia. The smell at certain times of the year gives you a real buzz. Like the buzz you get just before pulling the trigger. I have a favorite ask. What is it? My grandniece. I would like you to take her home as an apprentice. She dropped out of school and then she ended up in a bad crowd. You'll learn how to garden. Are you satisfied with the life that you have? How would you ask that? You know, you talk a lot of shit, but there's one thing you don't talk about. What's that? Yourself. I'm not sure if the trailer gives away the surprise, but I don't think we should. What do you think? Um, I don't know. We'll did you in your review? I mean, I think it's, I yeah, I did in my review. Okay. But I, I get I'm good talking around it as much as possible. It's, it's tough too because it's like we lose a lot of the conversation, but I think it's worth discovering organically in the movie, even if it's if kind only of because obvious. it's such a weird moment. <laughs> it's such a weird moment, and it's just like you realize what he's trying to pull off, and this movie is definitely a provocation right it's like a provocation for provocation's sake which is like feels part and parcel to a paul schrader thing but it's definitely more overt than other ones in terms of being like a button pushing topic we'll just say that um walk me through this one so we have joel edgerton playing the gardener the head gardener at the wealthy estate of a character played by sigourney weaver and Let's see. Yeah. So Gordy Weaver's character's grandniece arrives. She's been having some trouble. Um, wants Edgerton's character to, you know, be a mentor, teach the grandniece how to garden and maybe get her life together and all that stuff. And yeah, I mean, I, th th it is tough. The, the, the Edgerton character obviously has a past. You get that before you get the big reveal. There are hints of like, the fact that he knows what it feels like to shoot a gun um, yeah. and comparing that to gardening. There are some other little kind of drops that you get that, Oh, something is going on here. Um, I guess to talk around the big part of it is that he has a contact within the police department, the local police department that he calls on for help at certain parts. There yeah. are elements of this that become thriller esque, but it is mostly, I think, intended to be a character study of this guy who is trying to 
seek redemption. He he has done some very, very terrible things. Um, and he has had a very terrible outlook on the world. And he is just trying to get past all of that and become something else. I suppose there's a quality to it that you are introduced to this character and he seems so normal. Like if you were just told he's a gardener with nothing else, you would believe it. And I think that that is kind of what is you'd be like, what he, has a weird, at. Like, he has a weird haircut and some weird outfits, but uh, this guy seems. Yeah. Normal. <laughs> yeah. He has changed. Yeah. But the question is, the big question is, is has he been redeemed and what are the limits of that redemption? What are the limits of forgiveness? That's what I think the movie is trying to explore. And I don't think it does it correctly. And I can't, there's so much to there's so much that we can talk about though i don't yeah if, if, yeah that i don't want to at this point but it's 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 it, the weight of that redemption is on the wrong character that's all i'll say all the stuff that we see with edgerton's character up until that point you're like yes he did this this is all the stuff he did this is how he got past his past how he got through everything that he did and how he became a different person but the actual redemption part to prove that to prove that he is a changed person that's on the wrong character. And I didn't buy that relationship. I didn't buy that, that forgiveness at all. There's a very, very vital scene that happens later in the movie. I'm only going to reference it. Yeah. That the actors sound like robots. The yeah. actors do not sound convincing to the point that I almost thought that it was a dream sequence. And if that doesn't get pulled off correctly, I don't think the movie works. And for me, that entire angle did not work uh, thematically or even just dramatically. I don't think any of it worked. That's yeah, where I'm I mean, at it's it. a movie I'm, that is daring you to empathize with a character that no one should ever, you'd never want to empathize with, I guess is, is like a way to say it without revealing anything. And it's definitely, I think if I have an issue with it, Mark, it's that it's clunky about it, right? Like there are elements to this, like the flashbacks, which were a nightmarish and dynamic visual highlight of the card counter. If you remember the Abu Ghraib dream sequence, nightmare sequence, or whatever you want to call that, which those elements feel sloppy and perfunctory and even lazy here. Every single flashback is just kind of there. It doesn't really... It just feels like a lesser part of the movie. Like Schrader is just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, you have to know this. Let me tell you the rest of my story. And, but I cared less about that stuff. I watched this movie twice. I watched it at the uh, New York Film Festival, which would have been September of last year. And I rewatched it last week. And the second time I watched it, I cared less about the things that bothered me and focused more on the destination. And there's a lightness to this that makes it feel smaller and more personal. And there's something sweet to it, even if it's clunky in how it gets about that relationship. Like I totally understand anyone who rejects this movie outright for, I don't know, the subject matter. Like, I mean, maybe not the subject matter. I, I think you should give it, you know, watch the movie. Don't just give up on it because of the subject matter, but like the performances and like, the, I don't know what you're talking, what you're, t the things you're talking about. I, I do acknowledge there's some clunkiness. There's some bad Sigourney dialogue amid some good Sigourney dialogue. I thought, um, I just think the central gardening metaphor, like tending to yourself and, uh, worth being worthy of, um, you know, re, rebirth or whatever you want to call it in flower terms i wrote down a bunch of flower terms while i was watching the movie 
um, you know, you can't spreadsheet nature. It can only surprise you. And the idea of the idea of gardening and flowers as, as being a belief in the future because you're planning the symbol for change and growth. Like I appreciated the central me metaphor and I thought it worked really well. And I'll be damned if despite all the issues I had with this movie, if I didn't end up moved by the final shot that is meant to move me that some people are going to, again, just outright laugh at and say is not earned. But I think a huge part of why I'm able to just vibe with it, even though I will admit it's my least favorite of the three. I love First Reform. First Reform is a four star movie. Card Counter is a three and a half star movie. This is a three-star movie to me. But I'm definitely open to the idea that with time, seeing this movie will grow to be more powerful to me because there's something really inherently powerful in what he's trying to say. I think it, I think it's uh, Glenn Kenny, a colleague of mine, film critic in New York, who actually writes for RogerEbert.com and wrote a review for RogerEbert.com for this film. I think it was his last line that said, I think it's possible Schrader came up with this particular scenario, the last scene. Because he believes that the only way to portray love credibly and compellingly these days is to depict it in its most utterly improbable form. And I just really am like, I get goosebumps thinking about like what Schrader hopes this movie, you know, like what the intent was of this movie. Like this movie that is just, I feel like it's very pot. Would you say it skews more positive than where like the other ones go? Like the other ones all end. Basically, yeah. the ones are all building through like an act of violence, and this one is a, a, a you, it ends up being a, a different beast entirely. And that, like, just like old man, like it, I think it, I need the metatextualness of Paul Schrader making this movie at the age he's at and where he's at in his life. Like, I just appreciate that, like, he's a man that used to make these angry things, and now he's less angry, and he's trying to make things that say anyone can be redeemed, like just love be like love is the powerful force all this sappy shit but i think it works do you i talked a lot say what you want no it's okay no i mean yeah i just didn't i i get the entire idea of what he's going for here that it is about love and love overcoming and overpowering all of this other stuff specifically hate i think we could say that much yeah um and um specifically a very specific type of hate. yeah exactly <laughs> but i didn't buy it i didn't buy that relationship at all and that's i understand it needs it needed more time maybe addressing the elephant in the room which we are not addressing <laughs> intentionally addressing it not addressing yeah. it yeah but i yeah i there's one scene that i thought oh this might actually go somewhere and then immediately after that scene comes that very very difficult scene where yeah. the actors sound like robots and um yeah and that seems to be the whole summation of that relationship and that scene just it's such a such a bad one it's just a bad scene i don't know how else to say it and that is the entire like emotional core of the movie and it doesn't even function i don't yeah i don't There's know something, I think you have to you have to forget to the end yeah. point and doesn't earn it that's i guess that's what i'm you have to forgive some I things i think to like have it hit you the way it needs to and you know i think even schrader when he introduced it said you don't have to believe this movie you just have to imagine it it's a fable is how he introduced it i could see people hearing you know it's a fable you don't have to believe it as just like allowing a director to change your mind <laughs> just being like yeah no i meant it for it to be that way like it seems like you could you could a director could say anything oh that scene was intentionally bad that's why um 
But I don't know. Seeing it as a fable, watching it as like not, I don't know what I could say other than the second time I found it very moving um, that it, it really pushes the Paul Schrader character to like new limits because of this, you know, familiar theme of can we be redeemed through guilt? Will God forgive us? It's all, there's new answers to that question here. And I think it's interesting to see where he, where this franchise, this franchise, this trilogy has ended. I'm delighted. Really, he wrote another movie that he was going to direct. And now Elizabeth Moss is directing it. I forget what it is, but that's his next script that he wrote. And now he's writing another one or he wrote another one that's that he's directing. And I love, I love when a director, he's been more prolific in terms of making stuff now in his what eighties or whatever are getting there uh, than he has been for years. And I, I think it's, you know, this is his best output he's had in quite a while, not to put down, you know, light sleeper and blue collar and a bunch of great movies. I'm just a huge trader guy. And I think this movie is another one. Speaking of fast X being for the fans, doesn't this one kind of feel like it's also only for the real. If you follow Paul Schrader on Facebook and you read his Facebook posts that go viral because he, is an old man who says crazy things. Uh, I think you'd enjoy this movie. A regular person going to see this without any context of the trilogy or whatever. I don't know if they get anything out of this, but I am a three out of four on this movie. I'm a two out of four. Where were you on Card Counter and where were you on First Reform? Uh, First Reform, three and a half. The, one of the best movies of that year, though. Uh, Counter, three. Okay. So I had you the problems with the real, I had the problems with the with the relationship in Card Counter too, but otherwise I think it's I think Haddish. I don't want to say she's miscast. I don't know. Something's off there. Yeah, she's not miscast. There's just something off about that. It's it 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 doesn't feel Trader like dialogue Trader's as invested in that. Tra- yeah. Trader dialogue comes out weird uh, from some people, and then there's shit like Sigourney Weaver saying tit cancer in this one that you're just like, okay, <laughs> yeah, this is strange. I forgot I haven't acknowledged for those watching on YouTube my. Beautiful cat Laura Dern has been sitting here on camera the whole time. Uh, this is our new setup with the Ottoman in the background. Um, all right, let's move on to. Oh, this is a fun one. This is also a neon. Uh, this is Sanctuary, starring Margaret Qualley, daughter of Andy McDowell. If you weren't if you weren't aware, I'm going to point out the nepo baby status as much as possible. Um, she's great. I don't mean to be rude. And uh, Christopher Abbott who I like to introduce as one of the guys from Girls, one of the guys from HBO's Girls, and several movies. He was the one who really... I mean, obviously, Adam Driver's the breakout of that show. He's a huge movie star. Chris Abbott's huge in the indie scene. I feel like he was in a million indie movies a year. Um, Here's Sanctuary. Here's a trailer. Erotic thriller or romantic comedy? We will discuss. How? Yes, of course. Come in. Nice place. Is this the bathroom? This needs to be cleaned. I want you to clean behind the toilet. Is that dirty? Yes. When you think of yourself, what do you see? Garbage? Oh, yes. You weren't anything. I'm actually going to cut that trailer a little short for the loss for the listeners mark because i think that trailer gives away things that i very much enjoyed discovering naturally while watching the movie um so let's not discuss that element to it and uh talk me through it though uh sanctuary what is it it is a study of power dynamics 
uh, in the business world in terms of sex, uh, in terms of uh, a relationship that is apparently formed or burgeoning or blossoming or however you want to put it. And also, I mean, those are contradictory terms, but they're, that's what's happening in this movie. It is a really fun ride. And yeah, this is difficult. This is, I think, even more difficult to talk about the Master Gardener because I think that first scene is enough that as soon as you figure out the dynamics of these characters, yeah. so Christopher Abbott is playing the heir to this hotel empire. Yeah. And Margaret Qualley arrives as a lawyer for a law firm who is interviewing him so that the board of directors can determine whether or not he's suitable to take over the company. That's how she comes in and that's how she appears. Yes. As that scene unfolds, you realize, oh, that's not at all what's going on here. These questions are a little weird. They're a little too personal. <laughs> There's something going on here. And as soon as you realize, oh, there is a there is another business relationship going on between the two of them. Yeah. That's when everything kind of clicks and you realize, oh, this is what's happening. He decides to end that relationship. And then the rest of the film is all about them trying to negotiate and battle each other about how that relationship is either going to end or become something else or however else it turns out. There's just a lot of fun. It is all set within this hotel room um, or just in the hallway outside of it. It is just two actors. There is nobody else in this movie that I can recall. I don't think there is. I think it's just the two of them. Not even like, I don't even think there are voiceover appearances in this. I don't yeah, think, I think there is. Right. I think it's just Quali and Abbott, and that's it. The it's two of them, yeah. two-hander, one-room yeah. setting. It could, it could be a play, but it's it very at the same play. time because it's not. It's a film. It's very a lot of camera tricks and like cameras upside down to start and following, and you know, it is visually dynamic in en enough of a way to be a lot of th a, a lot of people always say it's like a play. It's just a film play. Why am I watching this? A lot of times they don't real. A lot, I think a lot of people don't quite understand the, the dynamic of the theater which is there's a lot of close-ups in this you don't yes. get close-ups in the theater yes um it's all close-ups almost to the point uh, it's directed by zachary wiggin i think this is directorial debut perhaps yeah i don't know but yeah you're right the way the ca the camera moves around in this room the room is big and spacious so it never feels too claustrophobic it never feels like it's limited in terms of what it's trying to say and then there's just the dialogue um Micah Bloomberg, so much great, great dialogue here. The actors are clearly having a blast and they know exactly what they're doing. It becomes this really great tonal balance because it's it's sexy. It's funny. There are times when it feels a bit frightening because you don't know who these characters are for real. Yeah. Until possibly the very end. And yeah, I, I, I had a lot of fun with this. It's it's so intriguing as a study of the dynamics of business and relationships and how relationships are like a business venture to a degree and just negotiating what you want out of life and what you want from a partner and what you want for yourself it's 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 so it's good it ends <laughs> i don't know up, how else to say yeah it. it ends up being a little slighter than i than i thought it was going to be maybe at the beginning but I appreciated that it ended up being something different. Like I, I went in expecting erotic thriller and there's a little bit of that, but I would say it ultimately morphs into a very just dark, twisted romantic comedy. And I appreciated where it ends. And I think, it, you know, once you realize at some point you start to realize it's all building up to this kind of obvious punchline 
but then it has the punchline and I think it works. And I'm like, Oh, I'm not mad at this. It, it kind of, it's like, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's funnier in hindsight when you go, Oh, wasn't that funny? If you think of it as a romantic comedy and you go, Oh yeah, it was kind of a romantic comedy. It's like a meat cute, but in a very twisted way. Um, so I, I enjoyed it on that level, but it's a little platitude girl bossy in a way about her character. I, I just definitely believed Christopher Abbott's character more than like her character on paper and like what she was after and stuff. Like, I just don't know if her motivation was as um, compelling to me as his. Uh, maybe that's because a guy wrote it, you know, maybe it's simply just that, but I thought it was very, very fun and I just don't want to oversell it as some like crazy sexy movie because yes, it's kind of sexy and erotic, but it's mostly a satire, a comedy about, you know, if if you've seen Glass Onion now, spoiler alert for Glass Onion, the Knives Out Mystery, which came out months and months ago. That movie, the big reveal is like, aren't rich people who are very successful just really, really stupid and dumber than you think? And like this movie's kind of doing the same thing where it's like it's kind of like an eat the rich movie, like like a trend we've been seeing that's making fun of rich people. But this one's kind of like a more intellectual, mental one where it's like, aren't they just really stupid? Like I appreciated how much care is taken to point out how stupid Christopher Abbott's character is repeatedly. Like the movie can't help but hit that joke every time. And I liked it every time. So it's a little simple is my point. It's like guy dumb girl smart sexy and the dynamic is what it is but i appreciated i appreciated it for what it is it's definitely a three-star movie but more of a soft three for me than a hard three um it's fun it's very silly uh it just feels like you know i don't know how many movies i could watch where the point is aren't dumb people or aren't rich people dumb and like that ultimately is what this is. But I do think it's a better flavor of that than a lot of other versions of that that we've seen. What else would you? Yeah, add? it's it's not. Well, I mean, it's not just again I, um, to quote the namesake of the show. It's not what a movie is about. It's how it's about it. Exactly. And this is a lot of fun. Yeah. Having it be just exclusively a, a these cat two and mouse, characters. A, a contained cat yeah. and mouse game. A, exactly. a contained get cat and mouse thriller as a romance in a way i yeah. yeah i appreciated the fact that abbott's character seems as if you know him from the very start but he has these little moments where you think oh maybe he actually has learned something over the process of this relationship that the two have had and living with a you know father who is very strict in terms of like business practices and all that maybe he has learned something and what i liked about quality's character is you're right maybe her motive doesn't seem believable but i also wonder if her motive is it's it's constantly shifting as the movie goes and yeah. that's part of the fun too is that yes. you never know who she is or what she wants and that is part of the thriller element of it is that you're not 100 percent sure you just know she is diametrically opposed to what he wants in that moment. And that's all that matters for drama is that there's conflict. This yes. just gets right boiled down to that conflict. Two people who want two completely different things and are now trying to resolve that issue. It's yeah. There I don't a... know if it needs to be too much more than that. It's just well-made and well-performed. And it, I think it does say some things and you're right. That, that punchline is perfect at the end. Yeah. That's all it's building to. And like, once you re like, I just appreciated it once it was over. I was like, oh, 
I get it. I get the whole thing now. It just kind of, it all is wrapped up nicely in a little bow. There's another movie that was a festival movie like this one that actually debuted at Sundance and got bought by Netflix for the most money. It's called Fair Play. It's described as an erotic thriller, but it really is just a girl boss. It's very similar to this, but worse. And I just want to be clear that if you start hearing hype about Fair Play coming to Netflix in a few months, I wouldn't buy the hype. I thought it was very bad. And this is like a better version of that movie where that's all. It's just, you know, gendered gendered power dynamics in the workplace that movie keeps it to the workplace this movie is about that but it's you know has its own little scenario that is interesting and unique and sexy and fun and weird yeah i i I enjoyed this very much it's a very fun movie even if it's slighter than i may have thought at the at the start of it but that's not it it does what it it, it's very successful in doing what it's about to do three out of four from both of us yeah i believe on that one I think I'm slightly stronger three, but yes, we have to specify those threes, those threes go, they run the gamut. They're everywhere. Um, All over the place, all over the place. Uh, I'll have you lead on this next one because I haven't seen it since Sundance. How do you even think to pronounce it? Lemon, Uh, lemon, lemon, okay, here we go. Where's this from? The immensity. It is a, uh, a, Italian, yes, right. Italian. Italian film. Okay, um, here we go. Here's a trailer. Penelope Cruz is in this. Strano. Di solito quando ti trucchi, o esci o hai pianto. Ma perché ti sei mangiata tutte quelle ostie? Mi devono fare un miracolo. Che miracolo ti serve? adulti chi pensano di essere ancora bambini Mark tell me about this film that I have trouble pronouncing I have trouble yeah I have trouble with it too but it is uh, La Mencita The Immensity Um, it is the story of a family they have uh, moved to Rome for the father's work Um, but really it's more the story of two characters it's about the mother uh, played by Penelope Cruz, and the um, eldest child who identifies as a boy. Um, I just have to clarify, this movie does very openly address the idea of, you know, biological gender, or biological sex versus uh, yes. identified gender. And if at any point in this I slip, it is not intentional. It is more than likely because the movie is addressing that. I have yes. to point that out right yes. away appreciate it yeah um so the eldest child identifies as andrew andrew is growing up and is confused because it's the 1970s nobody really knows how to talk about these issues nobody knows how to address the character the the person um and it is just about that but it's also about the family because the father is abusive you have these very very wrenching moments of seeing the kids 
experience that abuse. There's like this whole thing of like the, the middle child is scared to go to the bathroom because the father is around and starts defecating yeah. in the corner. It's really heartbreaking stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's so, it's so torn between really the character of Andrew and Cruz's character. And I yeah. don't think it ever quite decides because I believe Andrew's story is in the process of being told, obviously because of that discussion of gender and of identity. It is, it's, this character is in the process of something. Cruz's character is so set um, as a woman who is stuck in this loveless marriage that is abusive, that she's trying to protect her kids and she's trying to figure out a way to be her own person despite having this husband who is just terrible to everybody. And she's trying to fit in within society. That character is far more interesting just because you can see that conflict. You can see all that. And Cruz is really good here, obviously. I mean, that needs to be spoken. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's a confused movie. And part of that it is, is. is it's, it's baked into it because it's trying to say so much in such a limited scope of just this family. And I don't think it accomplishes as much as it wants to say. Um, Mostly if it had focused more on Andrew exclusively, maybe it would have worked better in terms of telling that story. I think but so because too. you see it. Yeah. Because you see it from the parents perspective, we have to kind of talk about like the fact of what was it like to be transgender at this period, to be a transgender child child at this period of time when people didn't even have the language to talk about it. Right. Um, I don't know. It's just it's just a it's just a tough movie. And I didn't. There's some fantasy sequences I don't think work out. Those right. Those feel like they're just numbers. there because the movie's sad and like it it needs to be like happy for a second. Like I yeah, I never really bought why those were there, and like it just is a it's a it's a sad movie, and I agree with you. I remember thinking that her story should be the point of emphasis. But the the parent stuff keeps getting in the way, and then it's like, okay, so is this parent stuff informing her story? And then it becomes like this weird thing about the societal function in her life and how that's fun maybe leading her towards feeling one gender more than another. It just feels confused in a way that I'm just like, yeah, whose story is this telling, and why is it telling? Like, it didn't. If I recall, it there's no like ans easy answers or anything by the end of this thing. It just, oh, there are no answers at all. No, <laughs> it ends no. with another musical number that just yeah. comes out of nowhere. Um, and yeah, there's no resolution, which is fine. I'm not opposed to a movie I mean, that doesn't yeah, have a resolution a, when you're talking about things as thorny as this. But it's a I, movie about a child being, you know, pushed and pulled by her own who she thinks she is and who the her parents and society thinks she should be. Like it's all there, but I remember it kind of landing with a minor thud for me. Like it's a classic festival movie that you probably won't hear much about because it's just not that there's nothing to grab onto in a huge way. But like it, if this, be, I don't want to begrudge this anyone, you know, this movie speaking to anyone. It just didn't really grab me the way a movie with intense subject matter, such as this, that is like heart wrenching and emotional inherently. Like this movie should have grabbed me more. That's how I feel about it. I'm two and a half yeah. on it. For yeah. Sure. I'm two and a half too. And it is, I think just a matter of this split perspective that's going on here where it is trying to encompass the whole scope of this family and also so many other subjects. And it just doesn't quite work because you don't have a clear point of entry or a clear point of focus to see what the story is actually trying to be. Um, yeah. Two and a half for me too. I just, 
yeah, it's it's okay. Cruise is really good, and there are some very devastating moments here that I think get a uh, a reality of um of abuse and of feeling out of place in society and within your own family. I think it gets at that, but as a movie itself, it's just too um, unfocused. There you go. I agree. Um, let's disagree on this next one. Here comes a trailer for Moon Garden. Emma, wake up. No. Are you lost, little girl? So if you're watching on YouTube, you got to see that the visuals in this are pretty cool looking. It was shot on expired film stock, 35 millimeter film stock. So it was shot on film. It looks like it was shot on film. It's tons and tons of practical effects for the creatures and the designs of the world that look various degrees of cool and interesting. The movie has a nice look to it. Um, you can see I'm rearing up to say I didn't care for it, which I didn't. But Mark, this is just, I mean, not to damn it with, I don't, <laughs> what I'm going to say is it's just a movie where a kid gets conked on the head <laughs> and sent to another world. Like I've seen this a thousand times. So the whole point is, is the world worth spending time in? And like, yes, there's cool DIY practical stuff. Couple cool killer design, couple cool killer designs. But those are the only elements worth praising for me, Mark. And it's derivative to the point where it overwhelms that. I found it to be completely tedious. And like the only selling point is, oh, it was shot on film. Isn't that cool? Like, yeah, it is. But if you want to watch a movie where someone gets conked on the head and sent to another world, you could probably do better. Monkey Bone is better, in my opinion. Oh my I'm watching the stoic response. Hey, that's a good <laughs> movie. Was, Check it out. I was okay. Was I've seen Monkey. Bone. I know that's you have. I'm sure you it. Stop motion. Yeah. Tom. Oh wait, Tom. No, not Tom Selleck. Oh, it is Tom Selleck. Harry. Yeah, Selleck. Uh, Henry Selleck. Yeah, Henry Selleck. Thank you, Tom. Tom Selleck with anyway, the mustache. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No. Anyway. Okay. I. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it. The world is very cool. The world is very do it yourself. Yeah, but like it's, it's like not, a, it's a yeah, handmade nightmare for ninety five minutes of just like yeah, someone else's nightmare. Minutes. Like yeah, there's nothing to this. Yeah, it's like yeah, no, it's there like is. It's, so ring, it's like Mad God. It is no, all like it is all just fucking. Look at this cool visual thing. Maybe it works for you. It, it maybe it won't. I don't know. I'll let you talk. But I'm like I, yeah, I, I'm I'm just saying. The world for me, the world looks so good, and it is obviously made on a budget. But there are so many levels and layers and dynamism to the design here. There are the the creepy elements of that opening forest. There's this weird industrial area. There's this you know like a bunch of domestic scenes that have been you know turned to decay. There's a whole thing that takes place in the clouds. It's all over the place in terms of design, 
but it all feels cohesive. It all feels coherent. And that's because you have this mix of practical effects. And I believe also a lot of stop motion going on in yeah. little ways, adjusting just the speed of the camera to even suggest the idea of stop motion when it's not there. Um, that chattering teeth monster is very cool. It's, it's frightening that. and very yeah. cool looking. And it is this mix of actual stop motion footage and of just this actor walking around with the camera speed changed up so that it looks herky and jerky. Yeah. Um, I, I, I liked it. I don't know. I don't know what else you want out of it. You said exactly what it was. It is I know. And like, I, 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 think, this... I think that's fair. Like, I just think these types of movies are a specific type of movie that doesn't work for me. I didn't care for Mad God either, which is yeah, like I'm not a big fan of that either. But... A very beautiful labor of love, visual splendor, practical effects, all practically done stop motion. And like, there's still nothing for me to latch onto. I just don't care. Like I'm watching this little girl walk this around. Is, yeah, it's a story of a little girl who is like on the brink of death, and her parents have, have had this. We didn't even talk about it. the parents have this whole relationship dynamic that's going on in the background, where yeah. you know the mother is you know very much attached to the daughter, and the father is distant and you know doesn't ever participate in the family, and they're trying to I reconcile. Say, I don't like Pan's Labyrinth either. Oh, well, I mean, that. that's like, your I problem. I don't like, I know. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> like, that's probably like the height of this form. And I'm still like, yeah, I don't really care for that that much. So, like, oh, man. it's definitely probably a me problem, to be clear. I want to make uh, all the people listening because I, you know, the, the PR person listening because I watched this for the, <laughs> uh, hey, Ted, love you, love your movies. Um, but I don't know. This one didn't do anything for me. But again, it's not the movie's fault. It's my fault. But also, the, uh, the performances of the parents are pretty bad. And uh, the little girl, I would say, is good to the degree that I found it uncomfortable. It was an unpleasant, uh, an unpleasant performance. She sell, I, she really sells being. She scared. sells it. She yeah, sells being scared and uncomfortable to the point where I'm like. Did they fucking make this girl very scared and uncomfortable? What, what um, I'm gonna, what, yeah. what I, I will after the fact. You just, you find out that the, 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 the lead girl is the director's daughter, yeah. and that makes it a little bit easier to yes, digest. It does. Yeah, the girl is very good here because she is probably terrified or very made very sad on set. But at least you know, like, it just the father is right there guiding it. It was and probably doing yeah. some good tricks because you know who else who knows a kid better than their own parents? Yeah, you know that's. It was derivative for me, not just in like girl conked on head, watching her her comatose body and being inhabited in another world. It was also derivative. I thought as cool as the practical stuff is, even the world looked derivative to me. Like I've seen this particular vision of a post-apocalypse dystopian world that just has all this weird shit in it. It looked like, I don't know, labyrinth with the cell with some time bandits and mirror mask thrown in little monsters where the wild things are i could throw a million references at this uh nightmare on elm street inspiration with the fucking boiler rooms and the pipes it just all it just felt to me like yes this person made like a nightmare movie just a nightmare vision that's like an amalgam of probably the things that scared them or what is cool to them and you know i can't begrudge anybody for making a movie with practical effects and shooting it on film so it, it pains me that I'm just like, I didn't care about it at all. I just, I couldn't wait till it was over. It was one of those things where like, if I was at a festival, it's a thing that like gets praised at a festival and then I feel like forgotten. So I'm in, I'm fascinated that it's even getting however little a release this is. Um, it's, I hate being mean to indie film. So it's weird that I just was so mean to this. But I really, 
It didn't work for me. I didn't care for it. It's a two star movie for me, but uh, yeah. for you, it's a three star movie. It's a three star. I I like that. I think it's. But a, you like you can understand where I'm coming from. I think. I mean, kind of, except that when you set it up, like it's it's got all this cool stuff. The design's really good. <laughs> it's all the practical effects. Man, they look yeah, so but, good. And then to say, yeah, but you know yeah, what? But it's the movie doesn't do anything with it. Like what's like? There's no story or plot. It just is, and that's but fine. There it is. Have it's have. about the girl. It's about the girl. <laughs> going through like the experience of trying to <laughs> figure out to face her fears on the brink of death and the parents trying to figure out where the, what their place is as a couple and as parents to this girl you know, about that something where i could appreciate the craft and just not care for it at all so that's where i'm at with it but hey yeah, i really appreciated the craft of it i'm just gonna say that like yeah maybe the story is thin and all that but who cares the craft is really good and you can see it right there you can on see the screen it. i'm not gonna argue yeah. you can't see it it's just a matter of if that's that if, that if that's enough of a can you coast by the rest of this because it because of this element there's all there's many elements to a movie i know you know this there are no you're right <laughs> um let's this has this. a lot of them going on in terms of the visuals it's, <laughs> you're talking the cinematography you're talking the visual the practical effects you're yeah. talking the staging of it the lighting of it all that stuff it's all working in you know, cohesion you can admire admired admired it didn't like it okay that's fine um uh let's let's agree let's agree again let's let's be friends again let's talk about outpost and how good lord i am such a huge fan of this man this is the one i alluded to earlier it's directed by a comedian joe latruglio not even like a stand-up comedian as far as i know a sketch comedian he was in the state wasn't he and he's also he's in every what are those movies? Like he's in I Love You Man. He's in Super Bad. He's always he has a bit part in so many Apatow things and other things. He's on Brooklyn Nine Nine. You know who he is? Joe Latruglio. Look it up. He directed and wrote and wrote. I think this movie. It's a horror movie. I read about it in Fangoria a year ago. I got so excited that one of my favorite comedian guys was making a horror movie because the bar for that's pretty great, right? It's Jordan Peele, and now we got Zach Kreger. All, both comedians making great horror movies. Uh, Joe Latruglio is not going to join that Mount Rushmore, unfortunately, at least not yet. Outpost fucking is terrible. It sucks. It's so bad. So I just want to say before we even see the trailer, if you're a fan of Joe Latruglio, the best advice I could give you is to just pretend this does not exist. I very much wish I didn't watch it. And I will not be talking about it on the horror podcast because I'm not going to kick him while he's down. Uh, but we will talk about it here. Here's the trailer. Good luck. I see his face everywhere. Mike almost took your eye, Kate. You need to go back to group, not into the woods by yourself. I'm really ready. This is the best thing for me. See you in three months. Thank you, girl. I know you pulled some strings. Yeah, well, uh, we need the help. Fire take the rest of the road? Took a lot more than that. After the big burn in 1910, Uncle Sam said the states had to bear the cost of firefighting. All these towers went up as a result. You got no water, Wi-Fi, or plumbing. All right, that's your firefinder. Because I swear to go if you see smoke. You are officially an Idaho Lands Department volunteer. Routine is key. Your head needs that. Three months is a long time. Who else knows I'm up here? Yeah, just the townies. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. What up, Dylan Baker? There he is, a recognizable actor. Um, anyway, <sighs> Outpost. 
walk me through it real quick. And I'll tell you that I like the premise of a person sitting in an outpost, watching over a forested area. I had a cousin who had that job, just like the night watchman in the forest who was there for months. It sounded terrifying inherently. I cannot believe they made a movie about that. And it's this and it's terrible. Please go. Yeah, it's a decent setup for a horror movie specifically. Um, the, the but it doesn't take that it. setup. It decides not to. Use no, it. it does not. It does not. The main hook. It's is just. That... It's just the background uh, noise for this movie. Yeah. Yeah. At times, literally just the background noise. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just noises going on. Anyway, so this woman has been um, abused by a boyfriend, and she decides after living in the city and not being able to put up with it that she's going to call in a favor from a friend whose brother is um, the head forest ranger in this small part of idaho and just yeah go away for three months in a fire tower and stand up there and watch for fires and figure out her life apparently um yeah good setup for for a horror movie um but as it turns out the real story here is once again about trauma and yep (laughs) banging my head on the microphone if i could bang my head on the microphone i would do it too but it would take a little bit more <laughs> finesse than I'm able to do right now. Um, yeah. And it's about trauma. There are a lot of scenes of the woman believing that she's seen something, including the ex-boyfriend suddenly appear in the fire tower. Turns out not to be the case. Seeing a store, imagining the store clerk choking her out on the counter. That obviously doesn't happen. Having these nightmarish visions of things that could be, that worst actually happening. horror movie crutch in history, and this movie just does it repeatedly, and it doesn't do it well no. either. Because once you realize that it's just going to be about faking you out and giving you these jump scares, it becomes repetitive and it becomes tedious. Nothing, and it nothing, to and it. you can figure out exactly where it's going yeah. because it telegraphs it by way of the form and also by way of the narrative. There are a couple of things here that I think Latrulio wants to be twist that simply don't function properly as twists. There's the entire climax. I think it's supposed to be kind of a secret about what's going on. Yeah, but it's like, but I it's, figured that out an hour work. ago. Yeah. Yeah, right. you figure out exactly where it's going well before yeah. that. And then within the, the actual editing of the of the whole sequence, it's like, no, that doesn't work because we already know that that's the person who's doing all of this. We know that. We know what's going on also, here. Why are you trying to... It doesn't... Yeah. <laughs> By the third time she dropped an item by accident off, yes. like, <laughs> off of the fucking tower. I was I watched it with a buddy. We were screaming laughing. It is the stupidest fucking movie. And it's not played for laughs, like she's dropping stuff. It's like it just the movie's that inept that she just she's dropping whoops, they she set dropped up. some keys. Whoops, she dropped her phone. Whoops, she dropped the coffee mug. Like she they set it up on. so that yeah, yeah. The, the dropping of the thing is just like, oh, don't you get it? She's klutzy and we need her to be klutzy yeah. so that she cannot have a phone and not have the yeah. keys by the third act. Like everything. Oh. This movie is just like every single scare is a fake out dream sequence. That's not there. The movie is withholding at the same time that it's teasing you with the things that you know are obviously going to be the reveal. It's just like very inept. It's completely inept at every single element that it's trying to do. Um, it keeps for a movie that's supposed to be like probably empowering about a woman coming back from being abused. It can't wait to show her being abused repeatedly. Like it just yeah, can't that's one. wait to keep cutting back to the every time she's been abused. Um, it's terrible. It, it is, is terrible. 
It's terrible. It almost and, if I didn't know who Joe Latrulio was, I would think he was like an it like like had bad intentions. Like was like making this I, movie yeah. about like I don't think this is a movie about women empowerment at all. Like it doesn't no, it doesn't play not. like I think he thinks it plays. I think yeah, I think you can if you really really go on a limb and try to say like the way that this movie turns as if you look at it as a sympathetic portrait of of the effects of domestic abuse of of trauma and all of that you can maybe make an argument like well it's going to turn out that way at some point but i mean come on this is i i hated that part of it i really really hated that part of it i don't no. want to say any more because it's because it, it is like it's it's something that does kind of come out of left field by the end even though it's setting it up so often no. throughout the movie and wanted, it's just i yeah, want to go ahead benefit of the doubt because like it sets up some interesting things like she's, you know, inhabiting a male dominated space in the, in the outpost. Like, and I think there's like almost, an, there's almost, an, uh, they almost function. What am I trying to say? They almost engage with that idea. They almost engage with like, Oh, she's inhabiting this male dominated space. She's escaping trauma. Uh, she's, you know, taking, this but she can't, if that would be, that would be an interesting angle. She's trying to escape trauma, but she can't, but that's not what the movie ends up being about. Sorry. <laughs> it's not even about the, like, you know, it is definitely engaging with the idea of, I feel like they're trying to be like evil men commentary. Like every man she encounters wants to fuck her or harm her. Right. Or like, that's what she thinks. Um, mm -hmm. And it just, it's just so boneheaded about how it does everything. It's very, very, very awkwardly edited. It has, split diopter shots that you know okay so you've got a split diopter great you need to still make a movie that it doesn't excuse everything else <laughs> i don't know i just could not believe the level of amateurishness to this movie and like why i mean i don't know it, it isn't it is a debut filmmaker who's never made a movie before so i don't know why i was expecting competence but it is stunning how incompetent it is i it is i think i'm gonna have to go half a star on this okay like i just hated it i thought it was terrible I really came to hate it again by the third act because you're right. If it were about about actual about men being terrible to her under every circumstance, you could see maybe how it could get to that point where it does. But it's, it, that's not exactly what's going on here, and that's what turns it into something that I really, really hated. And again, I don't think it was intentional. Like you said, I don't think it's intentional. He's trying to say what he ends up saying, but the movie still ends up saying it, and I'm giving it one star because, yeah. I just I'm so so frustrated by that ending. It sucks. Um, I think we're gonna mildly disagree on this next one somehow. But here's a documentary that I thought was perfectly fine and fun that Mark is gonna have a problem with. We're gonna we're gonna suss it out. Here we go. It was a heist you'd seen a Hollywood movie. Authorities still don't know who took it. It's a mystery, an unsolved case. Many thought a $160 million masterpiece was gone forever until it turned up in Silver City. There's basically three types of thieves. The first type is the theft of opportunity. The second is the individuals who are doing it for money. And then there's the third kind of art thief. And that's the art thief who steals for themselves. And those are the most dangerous. Rita and Jerry Alter were my aunt and uncle. Oh, they were definitely soulmates. And he would do anything for her. Good place to stop. Um, I found this to be a perfectly compelling, quote unquote, true crime documentary 
about a thing that happened that is just inherently interesting and compelling that, you know, an unsuspecting old couple, basically an old couple dies. And uh, while the, you know, the per- person taking all their paintings and stuff to like other, wherever you take paintings to be assessed for if they're worth money or not, they took it there and found out that these people have one of the most expensive and stolen paintings of all time. And it is just blowing my mind watching this movie to be like, wow, think about if your grandma and grandpa, they died and then you discovered they were like art thieves. (laughs) And this movie is a perfectly serviceable documentary about that subject. I appreciate any documentary that can tell its story in a feature and not eight episode, eight hour episodes on Netflix. So in that context, that's where I'm coming from. When I'm like three out of four, I enjoyed The Thief Collector. I would recommend it to anybody who likes a true crime, crazy story, documentary about something that's unbelievable that happened. Um, Talking Heads reenactments with Glenn Howerton from Always Sunny. Is that what you took issue with? What's your What's your problem with this? My problem My problem with it isn't... I, I think it does tell an interesting story. I just think that the story itself is so much speculation. Like, There's a lot of stuff that this movie tries to pin on these two people i mean even i mean you could make the argument that the stolen painting just somehow ended up in the house obviously that's not the case they stole that painting i mean i think there's no debate about that but everything else that's going on here like well how else did they make their money to take all those vacations well we have to assume that they you know stole some other stuff and then it turns out like oh yeah more than likely they did steal some other stuff because they find some other things that were stolen from other museums that aren't just paintings and all that in the houses like okay cool um but then there's all this other stuff about like they so the guy wrote a short story collection and it turns out that some of the short stories correspond to some of the things that he that the couple is accused of doing and there are some outlandish things that happen in these short stories and they try to pin all that as a real thing now maybe all that happened maybe for sure there is something going on in the septic tank that the movie spends a couple minutes with a guy surveying the septic system oh sure i mean it's like okay like i i get that you're you know you're showing us how long it takes to look at the septic system because nothing's going to come out come out of that but i don't know it just feels like a lot of just kind of theorizing about what could have happened with this couple and they're dead i don't you know it's like yeah okay i can hand you that i think when i was watching my wife i forgot about that i was like well this is a little speculative and weird uh it definitely does go to like tiptoeing the line of maybe bad taste in that degree i don't even know if it's bad taste it's just i don't know if there's any substance to it like in terms of actual evidence of what actually did happen and they're dead. They were secretive about it. There's no way to know for sure. And I don't know if the movie ever comes to terms with the fact that the uncertainty is something that's just baked into the story um, in a compelling way. I think it's more interested in, man, this could have happened. What if this actually happened? Wouldn't that be neat? Like, yes, it would have been neat, but we don't know for sure. And that's where it leaves us with. And I don't know. I, I'm not 100% convinced of the story being entirely worth telling, even if I did have a lot of fun theorizing along with the filmmaker. Yeah, I mean, once you discover I mean, I the guy's like fiction that he writes or whatever you want to call yeah. it, like I just think it's inherently interesting to like tell this guy's story. But maybe they they're not the best the way they told it. 
maybe gives it a little more credence than they should yes. have. Yes. Yes. I think I think it makes a convincing argument out of a lot of um I still walked away going like non-present evidence. Yes. I think I walked away thinking like they're speculating. I don't believe that. But the fact that it was on screen, I think most a lot I guess you're right. A lot of people would walk away being like, "Well, I believe this about them now." And maybe yeah. that's not fair. Um yeah. And, yeah. and I don't even know if it's about fairness as so much as it is about just, you know, what are we actually getting out of this movie? Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I'm not entirely sold on it and I'm not entirely dismissive of it. I'm, I'm a solid two and a half. This is perfectly middle of the road. I'm not sure exactly how I feel about it because it is entertaining. It's entertaining. Uh, that was my in the point. moment. That's the only point I was yeah. trying to make. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Uh, that's seven movies this week. You're a two and a half on that. I'm a three, but I, you know, the three spectrum. Yeah. It's a soft. We're a soft three on that. Um, thanks for listening to Roger and me. Please, please rate us, review us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else. YouTube. What's up, YouTube? Uh, sorry to the man who does not enjoy the theme song. He asked if we could please remove it. <laughs> I think uh, I don't think it's the theme, the theme song. I think it's the, it's the, uh, it's the um, Alien Ant Farm song at the end. I think that was the. Oh, was it really? I think oh, so. Ooh, I'll have to reread the comment. Now I'm even madder. How dare you besmirch Alien Ant Farm? Just kidding. I'm also mad that I thought you were being mean to my buddy Banshee Beat. Thank you for the music. I love the song. I hope you guys all like it. Uh, but yeah, tell us how you feel about it in a comment. I'll read it on, on any of those platforms. And we'll be back next week with... What's the big one next week? Is there anything? Uh, Little Mermaid. Oh, um, Jesus. Yeah, okay. You hurt my feelings uh, about my father, Kandahar. There's some, there's some. I've seen them all. All right, cool. We'll talk about them. See you then. The show starts in one.
Jalan sah, syada. Ush. 